Hey guys, how's it going? This is Ben Heron and this is the Guy Talk Podcast. Podcast done a lot for me and I hope this podcast does a lot for you. Today you're going to be listening to myself and another guest. We're going to be talking about our knowledge, our experiences, our stories, having a bit of banter. So yeah, listen up, enjoy, make some notes and let us know what you took away. Today I have on Chris Spearman. Chris Spearman is a great coach, a worldwide cover model, and today that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about getting that cover model sort of look, that physique, um, how he got it, how he gets his clients into that shape, and all the struggles along the way. Chris, tell the guys a little bit about yourself. Ooh, so um, it still sounds strange saying cover model, uh, to be honest. Obviously, I'm from Ireland. Um, long story short, I moved to London five years ago to pursue a dream of doing a PhD in cancer research. Moved over, didn't know anyone, decided to bury my nose in the gym. Um, and it just kind of went from there, to be honest. It went from there. Um, you know, I think it's it's such a strange feeling to feel like you're in a new city. For any of your listeners out there who move to a new city and just want to completely immerse themselves in something. That was very much what I did. Um, did I ever think I would end up on the cover of a magazine? Not in a million years. Not in a million years. For, um, I grew up in Clonakilty in West Cork. Um, for any of your, your listeners that know it, um, a small rural town. So, yeah, to be able to grace a few magazine and a few book covers over the last few years has been been pretty epic. Been a bit of a whirlwind, ups and downs, highs and lows. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it is what it is. And tell the guys about your academical sort of career and things like that. Yeah, so I um, I was always pretty geeky. I was always a big kind of science head. Um, I ended up going on to University College Cork and I did a biochemistry degree. Um, unfortunately, during that period of time, my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, which was a massive driver for me to go on and pursue um you know, cancer in university. So I went on to do a master's in breast cancer, in molecular cell biology. I specialized in breast cancer in, in my fifth year in, in Cork. And during that period of time, I realized that I really loved research. It was something that I really enjoyed. It, I really felt like I was making a difference. Um, I moved at that point then to, to London to do my PhD in oncology specializing in leukemia so i wanted to stay within cancer stay within oncology but i wanted to do a different type of um cancer and uh, this one came up never in a million years that i think i was even going to get that place so i think 600 people applied there was like four or five spaces Um, i weaseled my way through interviews and charmed my my way to uh to one of those spaces and uh yeah that's kind of where my journey started really and what about training so how long have you been training for so a bit of a background for me was I was um, I, I used to play rugby at a pretty high level. I got a scholarship to, to UCC. I was playing semi-professional for a while um, in Cork. And I was always keen, always sporty. Um, I'd gone to the gym, of course, you know, within those rugby circles, but never really took it seriously. I was the smallest guy on the pitch every single game. I'm not that tall, you know, I'm like 5'8", five, 5'9". And uh, I was I was very small. I was very small. So for me, it was always like that chip on my shoulder that I was like, I need to get big. I need to get big. I need to get big. So um, probably my deciding year in terms of trying to make a you know a professional rugby career, I tore my Achilles. I spent the majority of the year out when I was in second year university. 
and I literally just hit weights all the time. And uh, I did another year after that. I got transferred to to another team, um, you know, and uh, was playing semi-pro that year. And at that point, I planned a decent amount of weight, and I realized, you know what, I don't really love rugby at all. I just love training and trying to better myself. Um, at that point, I left, went to the States for six months, one-way ticket, and I was like, listen, I'm fed up with rugby, fed up with this. I need to move. So I moved to California for six months, um, obviously before my final year. And I started training in Gold's Gym. Um, and uh, not Gold's Gym Venice. I was training in Gold's Gym San Diego, which was just yeah. as cool. Yeah. Um, and I remember even to this day, I've got the photos that I took when I was in that gym for the first time. Obviously, a little kid from West Cork, myself in, in, in uh, Gold's Gym San Diego, um, people like Triple H w- w- was yeah. in there. They were kind of based there for a while. Um, I took photos of all these magazine covers that were on the wall, and they were basically um, they were members of that gym who had gone on to be on muscle development, uh, men's fitness, muscle and fitness, men's health, all of these things. I remember taking a photo, and I said to my friend, I said, I will never be on the cover of a magazine, but I'm going to do my best to try and look like that. Yeah. Um, three years later, I was on the cover of my first magazine. So it was a bit, of a bit of a whirlwind, but that was that was kind of where my training and fitness really i said basically at that point you know i played rugby because i was good at rugby um but this was for me like i want to try and achieve that physique for me the one thing that i felt and i think a lot of your listeners will um if they play a team sport at least Mm. you can put a lot of time and effort into a team sport and sometimes not get a huge amount back i was always I'm, i'm i'm comfortable saying this it sounds a bit arrogant but i probably was the hardest worker in the weights room when I played rugby. I was the hardest worker on the, on the track. I was the hardest worker at skills. I literally did everything to the to the letter, and it frustrated me being on a team of people who probably casual with things. Um, in a good way, in a bad way, I was probably a, probably a, 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 an individual athlete that just happened to play in a team. Is that that's the best way to put it? I wasn't really good at working on a team because I felt like people's level of work ethic should match and it didn't a lot of the time so i suppose when it got to the gym realm i felt like at least whatever i put in it's for myself and i'll get a a, a decent reward at least so um i think there's nothing more frustrating than putting in loads of work and not getting where you want to go um which i'm sure some of your some of your listeners can um you know probably have that in terms of gym and stuff like that and my advice is just to don't let it give up uh, don't give up and don't let it kind of phase you mm. um, and have some good role models in your life um, but the gym then became for me and nobody else mm-hmm. um, so yeah that, that's kind of where that all started for me do you think that that cover model physique that you got in three years do you think that was down to the sheer work ethic or do you think that was down to you were starting to become like obviously yes what you were still putting work in but do you think it was down to getting better information and things like that or did you do things quite stupidly or here's the truth i guarantee you there are a large number of your listeners listening to this and probably a large number of your clients who were in better shape than me when i was on the cover of that magazine yeah and yeah, I think so. I think so. I look back on that and I think, you know what, I was in decent shape. I think, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I wasn't in bad shape, but I definitely could have been in better shape. 
and I think it is very achievable for people to get on the cover of a magazine. But you need to be, you need to realize that there are lots of things that need to happen in your favor. Mm. You know, you need to know the right people. You need to network. You need to be in the right place at the right time. Um, all of these different things. I even now, like I'm in way better shape than I was, and even now, you know, there are loads of people in better shape than me. I think in terms of getting on the cover of a magazine, the one thing people forget is that every magazine serves a purpose. And if I wanted to be on the cover of Flex, that's never going to happen. Like, I'm never going to look like a bodybuilder. Mm. If I wanted to be on the cover of Men's Health, now that's different. That's more achievable, more attainable look. Mm. Um, you know, if your goal is to be on the cover of a magazine, you need to kind of be realistic with, I suppose, your physique and your training and um, kind of, you know, put those things in sync towards what's most likely um, that goes without saying that you need to know the right people, you need to have the right agents, you need to do all of these different things to get there. You know, we all follow people on social media in amazing shape that have never graced the cover of a magazine. It's not because they're not able to, it's just I suppose they weren't in the right place at the right time. So, you know, I'll be honest and say you need to know the right people, you need to be in the right place, you need to network. You know, I think you need to be charismatic because obviously even though you don't need to be charismatic to be on the cover of a magazine, you need to be charismatic to network with the right people too, right? Yeah. And you see to achieve that physique, like for the average day guy, how would you say that they could get into that shit? Because I know that when I started a gym, I thought that guys who trained five times a week were douches and they had all the time in the world and things like that. But what I dabbled in with, I dabbled twice a week and then it got to three times a week and then I enjoyed it. And now if I wanted to I would train every day if I pro if I possibly could um, yeah. so what would you say to those guys um, so I think for me I suppose when I moved to London was when I really kind of embedded myself in the gym but for me throughout my whole academic career um, I needed the gym it was an escape for me mm -hmm. even to this day it's a therapy so um, I needed the gym not that I you know if regardless of whatever magazine cover i would still have gone to the gym as frequently as i did because i needed to it was like it was my escape you know and i feel like a lot of people kind of resonate with that especially younger guys you know um did i feel insecure yeah of course i did i mean i always wanted to to look better but vanity was never my driving force or looking better was actually never my driving force it was just a bonus for me it was just the you know the mental release the therapy um you know, feeling like I wanted to escape in a sense. Um, and that kind of forced me to go almost every day. You know, I was obviously doing a PhD is not easy. Um, so I needed to really lose myself in the gym to try and cope with stress. Um, what would I say to guys out there who, who want that look? Um, first of all, I think for me, if you were to look at my covers right now, I wasn't overly big. Um, I think building muscle tissue takes a lot of time um, to get lean in my opinion obviously you know people have strengths but I think it's easier to get lean than to grow muscle tissue I think you know that's very safe to say um, so all I really needed to do was to get lean right you know so you know we all know you need to be in calorie deficit and X Y and Z but realistically it was just getting lean to that point um, you know if, when I look back now on those photos I was quite small um, it would be a different magazine cover I would probably be on if I was, 
you know still aiming to be on cover of magazines and things like that because i suppose my my size has changed but it's very achievable you know it is very achievable that look at least you know maybe getting on the cover of the magazine is difficult because you need to know the right people be in the right places be in the right networks but that look is very achievable to, for anyone you know i think if you actually look at a cover of men's health it's very achievable it's, it, people people on men's health aren't even that lean uh, these days it's very achievable look there have been times you know we have mutual friends that we spoke about before including myself who had been casted for men's health you know i appeared in men's health and on times they told me i was too lean so mm. it's a more achievable look for example um so i definitely feel like aiming for you know that sort of men's health look should be the first step and I feel as you progress your physique, and you'll you know you you'll, you'll resonate with that as well. You kind of slowly build up the ranks: men's fitness, muscle and fitness, muscle development, and then flex. Um, but yeah, it's um, you know it's 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 one of those things that I think um, obviously everyone has their own why, and figuring out what your why is is the most important at the start. And you see, uh, from a setup point, when you're dieting down for one of these photo shoots and things from the the from following you and stuff it's seemed to get a lot easier where i'm probably guessing at the start it was like kind of your main focus every single day um mm. but now it's just uh, a walk in the park literally like i remember you saying that you are literally just walking um so can you explain that sort of uh how, like how you've made this whole um getting photo shoot ready uh this process easier and more efficient Absolutely. So I think it's for me, and it's it, it's something that I really try and instill in my clients is that it's not about following X, Y, and Z. It's often about just becoming more educated. So if I was told tomorrow I'm I'm you know I'm carrying a bit of fluff right now. I'm trying to grow. Um, I decided to get a coach for the first time. Some of your listeners may know Ben Pokolsky, ex-IFBB yeah. Pro. I saw man. It looked yeah. it looked epic. I saw it on your story and his and. I was jealous. <laughs> yeah, you know what? He's it, and, and that just really encapsulates what I believe in in terms of the science behind training and really taking a scientific approach and forgetting all the bro science and really breaking it down. Obviously, a scientist at heart, finding someone like him that, you know, we just bounce off each other really, really well. But right now, so I'm trying to grow. But if I was told tomorrow that I've got to shoot in a few weeks, like I could be shoot ready. And the reason that is, it's not because I'm better than anyone else. It's because I've educated myself on how to do that. And of course, there are a few things that come into play. You need to look at, you know, my body is now metabolically primed. Every time I've cut down, I've done a reverse diet out of it. So every time I cut, it gets easier. Every time I reverse diet, I grow more efficiently. And what I'm adding is actual decent tissue rather than, you know, a lot of junk and, and that bulk that everyone, yeah. I don't like the word bulking, you know, I'll say growing or reversing or um, every time you do that, it gets easier. Every time you cut down, it gets easier. But also like your body remembers, you know, your body psychologically as well, it's very difficult to get leaner than you've ever got. For, for example, if you have a, a listener who's never had abs, getting abs for the first time is tough because you don't know your limitations. You don't know what it takes and you're always going to second guess. Like, here's the thing. There are people out there listening to this right now that will go questioning. They're seriously questioning. Will I ever have abs? Mm. You have abs. You know, if, yeah. if someone put you in a concentration camp tomorrow, 
in, in a few months you'll have abs like with no yeah, food yeah, so yeah. i'm not saying do that of course but it's possible <laughs> to get lean enough to get there but you should be doing it in a safe way yeah. um and unfortunately it takes time it takes patience it takes consistency and if i'm being really honest it takes guidance you know it yeah. takes accountability that... um, i'm sure i'm sure you know you have you have those conversations with your clients but it's not you know it, it doesn't to some degree obviously you want a coach who's educated and, and a coach that can help you a coach that has been there but sometimes you just need someone to bounce some ideas back and forward with and have someone to go over you you know yeah definitely and like the thing with as we said about calorie deficit uh dieting is basically a controlled form of starvation and definitely for your first ever diet it's literally what i then like the analogy i like like kind of think about is just it's like someone grabbing your hand and taking you for each step over the river and saying it's okay it's okay it's okay it's okay and guiding you when you need balanced like that's the sort of because it is shit dieting you'll be a bit hungry you might um you might have some side effects but it's just having an experienced eye to know that's okay that's expected um right we need to work harder and just getting the more potential out of you here's the thing you know i i agree with you completely i think there's optimal and as a scientist of course optimal is important but practical is even important, mm. right? If you're doing something that you know you can do, you know you can adhere over a period of time, realistically, that's going to be the best result. For me, uh, being, being completely honest, right, I was a student, I was working 12 hours in, in, in a hospital, like analyzing blood samples. I was traveling and commuting for almost four hours every day. So for me, it was so much easier to cut, right? I didn't mm-hmm. have to eat. I did when I moved to London. I, haven't, I mean, people who know me know this, but I've not said it publicly. I do. I didn't have a penny. Like yeah. my mom is broke. Um, you know, God love her, but she's broke. Like, and you know, we had nothing when I moved to London. I didn't even know if I was going to survive. And I moved to London, and I was like, shit, my food bill. You know, so cutting was easy. Dude. Cutting was easy yeah. because I didn't have to pay a huge amount of food. I was a student. I just moved to London where rent is extortionate. I was in a hospital for 12 hours a day. I was on trains for four hours a day. It was difficult for me to prep food. So I'm not saying I starved myself, of course, but I made good food choices, which helped me become more educated in how my body reacts to food. But also now, of course, the majority of my clients, I don't give them a meal plan necessarily. We, I just educate them on how to eat mm. and what to eat and when to eat and how to read engage their bodies. So for me, it was easy to cut, you know, um, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. So, you know, for those of you out there listening to this, thinking that dieting is tough, think think about the positives about dieting. For me, at least, when I res- so I will restrict carbohydrates to specific times of the day, so I'm more insulin sensitive. But when I'm low on carbohydrates, my brain is firing so much better. Mm-hmm. I was able to be literally on point in in the lab. So, just to give you a brief a, a, a brief kind of synopsis of what I was doing. I was analyzing blood samples from patients and I was um, obviously consenting patients who wanted to take part, um, people who had, uh, you know, maybe only a few weeks to live in terms of leukemia. And they would offer blood samples to me to analyze. And basically what I was trying to do is to try and distinguish or really figure out why they got cancer in the, in the first place. So I was wait in, in the waiting room, you know, consenting patients, taking blood samples, analyzing their DNA um, and genetic markers to try and see listen is there a correlation between all of these patients and this specific literature 
And for me to do all of that for hours and hours and hours a day, it was easier for me to be low carb because assuming I was so insulin sensitive, if I had a chocolate bar or, or some rice even, I would go and uh, I would almost go, you know, hyper and then hypoglycemic. Mm. I was that insulin sensitive. Mm. So for me, I was like on point when I was low carb. So it was actually quite easy for me. Um, obviously, there are people out there who are used to maybe a little bit more food or, you know, they get hungry easier than others. But over time, start looking at the positives of dieting. You know, you don't need to drastically starve yourself, but start looking at the positives, you know, instead of turning around and saying, oh, to do an hour of cardio in the morning, think about the people who don't have limbs. And I know that sounds drastic. Yeah. They would walk 23 hours of the day just to have legs for the other hour. Yeah. Yeah. Be grateful for all of these things. Like if you're listening to this, you've got an iPhone or a phone or something that you're listening to. Be grateful that you're even listening to us right now. Be grateful that you're able to diet. Be grateful that you can afford supplements. Be grateful for all of these things and just get on and do the bloody work. You know, yeah. no one else is going to do it for you. Um, so for me, it was like I could have easily spent 12 hours in the hospital, four hours commuting and made an excuse as to why I'm not going to go to the gym. But realistically, it was I needed to go to the gym. It was like it was my sanctuary, really. So, you know, I made sacrifices, of course, but, you know, no one else is going to make sacrifices for me. And at the end of the day, I think that's, you know, that's being grateful and and, and, and just kind of really analyzing what you want and, and what you need to, to do to achieve them is really important. Right. So since I've got talking to you here and since I followed your work and followed your podcast and stuff, um, we I know that you're a very knowledgeable guy and stuff. But the main sort of thing that I see here is your underlying mindset. Like you're a fucking go getter. Like you go and get shit done. And uh, like whether it be in a business level, whether it be in your physique, whether it be like whether it be moving to a new city with no money, um, whether it be academical to the guy who like we all get we we all are unmotivated at some point in time um and i wouldn't necessarily call anyone lazy i would just kind of frame it as you're not winning you're not progressing you're not seeing progress so for what can we do right now to get one of the listeners who's not in place to go and just turn themselves into a go-getter like what you said about gratitude there and mm. i'm guessing working with cancer having a close family member um mm. uh, being diagnosed that was probably a big driver and a big a big element of it but what other things could we say because like well, like for example if you want to get lean we've put it down to a calorie deficit if you're hitting enough protein you're getting your steps in you're monitoring and you've got a bit of guidance in someone's opinion like if you've you got the muscle mass getting lean the more i get into it it is quite easy um obviously we there is more logistics but in in summary um so what could we do to get that unstoppable mindset so i think each and every one of us is either surviving living or thriving yeah so you're either surviving just you're either living your life or you're thriving and sometimes it's difficult to jump up that ladder um you know for me i think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't always motivated, even from a very young age. Even from a very young age, I was always pretty motivated. I feel like, being really honest with you, I think you hit the nail on Being with those cancer patients who literally, you know, I, I would collect blood samples on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I would go in and go to collect a blood sample patient on a Thursday. I would go to the bed and I'd be like, oh, I'd turn around to the nurse and be, where is such and such? And they would just look at me and go, 
they're they're not here anymore. And for me to be in that situation and go shit, like to see to see the family there, to see people who are not there anymore, and I would build a relationship with these patients over time. Of course, I would take their blood every week. So for me to see that and realize the value of life and realize that this day I'm speaking to you right now, this may be the last day that I have on this planet. Yeah. We don't know. We really don't know. Like, so that really ignited a fire in me. I remember one particular time and it, it was, it was emotional and you know, I've had some difficult times in my life since then. And this is one moment that I really reflect on hugely is I was leaving the consent room, having taken consent from a patient who had, um, I assumed, you know, some time left, but I didn't know how long. And he turned around at the door and he said, before I leave, he said, what are you doing after you finish your PhD? And I was shocked. I was like, uh, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. And he said, I did a PhD. And I was shocked. I was like, oh. He was like, yeah, I did a PhD about 50 years ago, 45 years ago. He said, I went straight into a job and I've spent, I spent the majority of my life getting to the top of the company. I've given 40% of everything I've ever earned to the government purposely, purposely trying to, you know, do one better each year, each year, each year, each year. And now I've been told I've got six months to live. Mm-hmm. I've been told I've six months to live and all of the things that I ever wanted to do in my life, I can now not do. One, I don't have enough time. And two, I spent the majority of my life trying to progress all the time and not taking a step back to actually do the things that I really wanted. And that hit me hard, dude. That hit me really hard. Um, I just took a step back and I was like, like to see someone who has spent their whole life trying to achieve, in inverted commas, and not really live, you need to find a balance. And although people will look and say, you know, I'm living the dream. I just came back from obviously meeting some clients in Chicago and, and Wisconsin. And that to me is me traveling and me experiencing life and me being able to spend some time with clients and really appreciate that I'm in a really good place in my life. Mm. Um, don't get me wrong, I've worked hard to get here, but being grateful is massive. And you touched on that as well. So I think being grateful for small things in our life is so significant because when I first started gratitude, I was told to write down a list of the things that I'm grateful for. I wrote down two things Mm. and I was like, I can't think of anything else. Now I could write hundreds. And I think we take a lot of things for granted. Yeah. There was one uh, podcast that you done, it was around like 10 to 20, and uh, I journal, I've journaled now 652 days, and it's been massive for me, and it was make this day your best because you're never going to get it back, and that, I just, that was one of the things that you said, um, and you see when I, for example, am busted after work and I don't want to cook meals or when I, there's just that sluggish moment, that's what I think about. I'm not going to get this day back. Just tick one more box. And like all of the, all of this, like getting in better shape and building yourself up, it is a matter of setting out a few boxes and ticking them. And it's kind of like your own mental obstacle course just to go through it and climb over each obstacle. And yeah. it's all these mechanisms. Like if 
If you've listened to this podcast, you'll notice there's common themes between all these top level guests. You will notice, like, gratitude's one of them. Another one might be about goal setting, me and Chris were talking about. Um, like, there is there is common sort of similarities here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I think that's massively true. I think, for me, it comes down to what your why is. You know, yeah. you have to ask yourself, like, why do, you, what, why do you want to go to the gym in the first place? Like, honestly, if I don't want to go to the gym, I probably won't go. Now, you need to be careful about letting yourself use that as an excuse or letting you use it as a motivation. And for Mm -hmm. me, I know what my whys are. I know what I want out of life. And I know what my goals are in life. The two biggest goals personally that I that I ever had was to get a to get a doctorate, get doctor in front of my name and get on the cover of a magazine. Mm -hmm. Now, I never in a million years ever thought that either of those would come true, let alone both. Now. I'll be lying if I said I wasn't in a really low place in my life when I achieved both of those things. And the reason, that sounds crazy, right? But the reason I was in a low place is because what next? It took me a long time to really figure out what my next why was. Yeah. That sounds crazy. But for me, having a why that is strong enough is the biggest driving force. You know, now my whys are to you know, help inspire and educate as many people on this planet as I can. Mm-hmm. And as soppy as it sounds, to have an amazing family, a family that, you know, unfortunately, I never really had um, as a kid growing up and to to be the best role model for my children mm-hmm. and to be the best husband I can possibly be whenever that happens. Um, and those two whys, every time I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I meet something in my life that either has a yes or a no, or will I do it or will I, won't I, I ask myself, will this help me get closer to either of those whys? Mm-hmm. Will this help me educate, motivate and inspire somebody else? Or will this help me become, you know, the future husband that I want to be, the future dad that I want to be to my children? Will this make my children proud? Um, and having that big why for me is massive. Um, I think we all go through stages. We all have ups and downs. I've had my massive ups. I've had my massive downs as well, massive lows. Um, you know, and sometimes it's in those darkest moments that you really figure out, you really find yourself, you find your true identity. You kind of can really, you know, there'll be people listening to this who are looking to be inspired. They're looking to be motivated and they're just kind of chugging along. And then there'll be other people who listen to this and it will be that spark that ignites what they're going to do for the next few weeks. Yeah. Sometimes being in a low place needs to happen for yeah. you to step up and become the best version of yourself. Um, you know, without going into the ins and outs, two, two and a half years ago, I was in a really low place in my life. I had a lot of stuff written about me in the media um, that was completely twisted and fabricated and i'd be lying if i said it didn't have a massive negative effect on me my mental place you know my family all of these different things and it's in moments like these that you really take a step back you appreciate the things that are in your life you appreciate the people that support you and one of the things that was really really apparent for me is and a lot of us do this what if we spent more time thanking the people that always supported us rather than trying to persuade the people that don't. 100%. And I, think, I, th- I think for me, I started being grateful at the time. I started writing down gratitude and I said, I wrote down two things I was grateful for. Now I do every single day. What am I grateful for? If I hadn't been in that low place, I wouldn't have known. 
Mm. The people that the people that moved away from my life because they believed what was written, they were people who weren't meant to be in my life anyway. They weren't strong enough to be within my circle, and that's fine. That's okay, and I don't begrudge them. You know, they're in my opinion, they weren't meant to be in my future. They weren't meant to be in my story. And the people who stood by me are the people who I probably should have appreciated more. And now nothing will change how grateful I am for them. And uh, I think. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and I think we will all go through those periods. We'll all go through those lows and those highs. Would I be put it this way? Was getting on the cover of a magazine for me? Did that change my life drastically? No. Did me getting a doctorate change my life drastically? No. The two biggest highs in my life. Was me being at the lowest point in my life the biggest driving force to make myself the best possible version of myself? Absolutely. Yeah. That's powerful. So it is. Uh, it really is. Who would you say has been the most influential like figures that's really supported you throughout this? Um, you know what? It's... Obviously, you've got family. We've all got family members who support us. Some that don't, unfortunately. Um, I think it's really important that you that, that you address that because we all need people to look up to. We all actually. You mentioned Phil Graham already. Yeah. He was a person who reached out to me, um, and you know he knew me personally and he knew what was written. Obviously, he had uh, you know a similar situation that happened to him in the media. People yeah. tried to screw him over, and he reached out to me almost immediately and said, "Listen, you know I know what you're like. I know what." what happens in the media when you know you have um a big name people try and pull you down people try and drag you down people try and write stuff about you he said just focus on doing what you're doing yeah. don't focus on anyone else just focus on doing what you're doing and one thing without getting i suppose too deep and too emotional for whatever reason i never had an amazing close relationship with my dad and it wasn't a massively it wasn't my fault or his it's just the way things worked out yeah. and um i think as boys you know you said that the majority of your listeners are, are probably young males. I think they'll relate to this massively. And I think the one thing that we always look for, generally speaking, as a young adult male, is we look for that acceptance from our dads. And sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. For whatever reason, I never felt like I got it. Now, that's nothing against my dad. He did you know, everything that he, he thought he could do. But for whatever reason, I never felt like I had that acceptance. I spent my whole life trying to achieve trying to, you know, get the best results in my school, you know, captain of the rugby team, try to make a professional rugby career, try to become a doctorate, um, try to get on the cover of a magazine. I'd be lying if I said the reason why I had that burning desire was to try and get that acceptance that I never got. Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest driving force for me to succeed. But when I was at my lowest point, my dad turned around to me and he said, and I never felt like he was proud of me. I suppose, you know, he was in his own way, but I never heard it. I never felt it. And one thing he said, and it was a massive turning point in my life, is he said, don't let one mistake undo all of the amazing things that you've done in your life. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes when you're at that lowest point and you get a comment like that from someone, you need to take the good with the bad, right? If my dad and I had the relationship that I wanted... I would not be the person I am today. Yeah. If I had that love and that, you know, pat in the back all of the time, I probably wouldn't have achieved half the things that I have. So I thank him every single day for that relationship because he's made me who I am. And I think it's that comes down to being grateful. So when you're in a shit place in your life and you're a rock bottom, 
that will be the reason why you succeed. And if it isn't, you need to make it the reason you succeed. Yeah, definitely. And you coach a lot of guys and things like that, and you help them um, get an unbelievable shape and come with barriers. What do you find are the common roadblocks that they run into? Um, like I've watched a lot of your videos. Um, I remember one of your videos you said um, with the guy um, who had cancer and you said you were crying at one point and things like that. Like yeah. what big roadblocks came, what what, what roadblocks um, do people usually yeah. so, have to come over? So, so Scott is, a, is an, an, and was then and still is a client of mine who was... He went through a really nasty divorce, left everything behind, and was shortly diagnosed with kidney cancer. Mm-hmm. And he reached out to me to change his life, and he needed something else. And the first point is accountability. He needed to be accountable to someone else. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he needed the guidance. He needed the information. He needed the support. Um, but most importantly, he needed accountability. And obviously, I was, the, I was able to offer that to him. Mm-hmm. And through that period of him overcoming cancer going through cancer and coming out the other end and getting an incredible shape you know there are ups and there are downs but it's it's one of those things that obviously patience consistency all of those things matter but in terms of having for me accountability is massive now i'm not saying you know sign up to your program or sign up to mine but invest in yourself like whatever whatever it takes Invest in yourself to hold yourself even more accountable. You know, I only got a coach for the first time this year. I feel that if I could change anything and go back, I would have got a coach pretty early on. Not necessarily for, forget about even me getting in shape, but it would have helped me with my business. Oh, yeah. It would have educated me sooner. All of these things that are invaluable. Yeah. And that's one thing that Scott did, is he invested in himself and came to me. And sometimes through that process your clients need you to kick them up the backside but sometimes they need you to pat them on the back and say you're doing amazing keep doing it so you will come through roadblocks and everyone listening to this will have stalling periods and plateaus and um, you just need to really one find your why and your reason to keep going two i think you need accountability and someone to stand there beside you um and three just don't give up yeah and you've mentioned about uh the gym gave you therapy the gym gave you much more than just the abs and things like that like can you just touch on that like what has this uh training given you and how and like how has it helped you in circumstances outside of the gym um well the obvious reason would be it's 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 given me a career yeah it's, yeah, yeah. Given, me, it's given me friends it's given me a future it's given me clients and the feeling that I've changed thousands of lives all over the world. People who, this is a, this is a crazy one. So for me, for anyone who follows me already, my programs are, are the programs that the clients that I deal with are, they're high ticket programs. I Skype these clients. I have a build a really strong relationship with these clients. Of course, it's a little bit more of an investment, but it means that I can give more to my clients mm. and it means that I can afford to travel and meet them and be an integral part in their lives. And a lot of these people will, and it, it sounds dramatic, but a lot of these people will die being grateful for our relationship to feel like you've made a drastic change to someone's rela- a relationship with food and a drastic change to someone's life. 
that to me on a selfish level whatever about the money that to me is inspiring mm. to feel that i'm like a small piece in a jigsaw of their life um so it's given me that it's given me all of those things as a gym goer and people that go to the gym it's given me therapy of course it's given me an outlet it's given me confidence it's given me a place to belong um you know sometimes as a young adolescent we struggle with those things it's given me you know something to do stay out of trouble all of these things so you know i think for those out there who need that extra bit of motivation um it's definitely a good place to be but also it's given me role models because when i started going to the gym obviously i looked up to people and aspired to to be specific people and through the gym environment i managed to get that and it's a positive way to spend time you know there's so much worse things you could be doing there is also negative things the gym probably has given you too would you say throughout the journey absolutely i mean obviously you know it's with exposure and i don't like the word fame but following people knowing who you are it can be difficult too of course you know i think i find it difficult to i've spoken to a lot of friends who've got a big following as well and maybe having a relationship can be difficult sometimes when you've got a big following yeah um i think you know sometimes for some people at least when they compete it can give them a a poor relationship with food yeah um but you know it's it's for me, I'm always trying to be positive, so I try and l- eliminate the things that may be negative about those environments. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got it's got ups and downs, but yeah. I feel like far more positives. Yeah, definitely. Negatives. And like it's you said, it took you three years to get in your first uh, magazine. Like listeners here are going to be looking up to you, and they're going to be thinking, "How long? What do I need to do? What would you say?" So first of all, I think. Anyone listening to this could be in cover model shape within a year, Mm. at least. Now, getting on the cover is very different because for me, I think in a year you can get quite lean enough to be on the cover. Most people can at least um, if you're consistent for a whole year. Mm. Um, Getting on the cover is very different. Of course, you need to. The thing now is people are moving away from covers and, you know, on YouTube and online and, and Instagram and stuff. And, you yeah. know, when I was growing up, it was the pinnacle was the cover of a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Now things are changing. And I speak to my younger brothers who are 19 and they're like, yeah, not really fussed about a cover, dude. And to me, I'm like, that was the pinnacle. Yeah. So times are changing. You know, but I feel like over time, um, you know, as you're getting leaner, it's opening up other, um, it's op- opening up other avenues. So, you know, within my business, we've got an academy. So it's a Spearman Fitness Academy where we help people who want to compete, people who are doing shoots, people who aspire to be on the cover of magazines. And we also then have a business acumen where we help people on a weekly call in a group to grow their social media, um, grow their brand and those things. And a lot of the questions that come up are quite similar. Um, And I feel like, again, having accountability is important. You know, if I wanted to get on the cover of a a magazine, I would probably talk to someone who's already done it. You know, if I wanted to Olympia, I would probably go to someone who's won the Olympia already. So I think that's, you know, having the right... um, the right role models or the right accountability is important. Um, you know, I've never competed, 
So generally speaking, if someone comes through our program, I've got a coach who um, has competed at a pretty high level. So I will obviously let that coach take them through that journey. Of course, I will oversee it. But that's about having the right the right guidance you know i've helped people for shows i've helped people win pro cards i've helped people win um shows mainly in the uk but also internationally that being said i would prefer them be under the guidance of someone who's you know walk the walk and not just talk the talk so you know when it comes to cover model stuff i think if that's your your genuine goal i think probably finding someone who's in that realm is good you know equally a part of the reason why i want to grow right now is so you know for not necessarily for myself but so i can help other people through that process i'm always trying to grow i'm always trying to progress i'm always trying to learn more and become more educated so the more i can do that the more the more people i can serve right yeah definitely and what would you say most people do wrong when they're trying to achieve that i know we've talked a lot about cover model magazines but it's more just that whole abs yeah that look what would you say most people do wrong what's the biggest mistake that most people make the biggest there's a few biggest mistakes that people make one is that people will cut for 12 weeks and then bulk for 12 weeks and cut for 12 weeks and then bulk for 12 weeks mm. i think if you do that for a whole year your average isn't going to change much i think i'm not saying do a dirty bulk for like two years and go into off season but i feel like if you get lean until like if you're going to do something do it 110 percent. in my opinion 12 weeks is not near enough really to get stuck into something mm. you know we're all going to have holidays we're all going to have weddings we're all going to have things that you know come into play mm. my advice would be to take a little bit longer and do it right so if you're going to cut cut over a longer period of time be consistent be patient and then when you get lean you're 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 lean lean if you're going to grow do it over a longer period of time and be patient you know if you're just going to give you know 100 euro or 100 pounds or whatever it is to someone to get you shredded in 12 weeks he'll be able to help you but realistically you need probably something a little bit more long term so what we will always do to people when they finish 12 week program is offer them a little bit more assistance where they can stay with us monthly and i think you know as long as you you realize that it's an investment in yourself it's not an issue um the other thing is changing your training program too frequently for me i feel like if your training program is working and your lifts are progressing why change it mm-hmm. for me i would eat sawdust five times a day every day if it meant that i would get to, to you know to where i want to go so i'm not saying you need to eat sawdust but the point is if something is working why why fix it why change you know if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah um, but yeah yeah so that's it definitely uh, the diet and, and the balkan point I think um, one of my own like realizations is that now there is a like you could argue we could talk about it for an hour too easy um, about aggressive dieting and uh, dieting on a slower deficit and things like that. Mm-hmm. But what I find is and you touched on it earlier is can you sustain this? Is the difference between a dieting phase and a surplus phase should right. just be extra food. It shouldn't be a drastic change from one to the other. And what I find is during a dieting phase, because there's so much uh, gratification, because you're getting constant results daily and things like that, 
um, once you you actually want to go balls to the walls and cut out everything. And that might be good in the short term, but in the long term is where the damage is done, is where the bad relationship with food, is where um, you don't know how to sustain it, you don't know how to manage social occasions and things like that. And that's one thing that I would definitely say I've sort of, like a lot of guys I work with want to do these photo shoots and things like that. And I try to take it, yes, we're pushing things to the best level, but I try to take the stress and the focus as much as possible. Because if I'm able to do that and make it a walk in the park, as we did, um, it's going to make it much easier, not for the 12 weeks, but for the 52 weeks. Um, and it, it now there is context, there's time and a place, but... That's just one of my massive realizations um, that I would say to any listener out there. Absolutely. You know, I think if I'm cutting someone for something and they're cutting down, I want them on the most amount of food and the least amount of cardio possible and still lose weight. Mm -hmm. Because if I can give them the most amount of food and the least amount of cardio and they're progressing, then we've got more room to play with. We've got more cards to play. You know, if I want to cut them drastically and give them rabbit food and loads of cardio, what happens when they plateau? Not only what happens and where do you go, but what happens to them metabolically? Now, obviously, within reason, if, and also on the flip side of the coin, if someone's not losing weight and they say they're eating X food and they're doing Y cardio, you have to, realistically, they need to realize that sometimes you need to go deep and sometimes you need to work hard. One gripe that I've had probably over the few years in that realm in terms of cutting is people jumping on their horse saying, oh, well, I got this lean and I was able to eat all of this food and I didn't have to do all of this cardio. That's amazing if that's the case. But sometimes people need to bloody do the work, you know? It's all well and good to say I was able to do this on loads and loads and loads of food. But for some people, unfortunately, they're going to need to borderline starve themselves and do a shit ton of cardio. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. You know? And sometimes people kind of gravitate to that, oh, such and such was able to do it on loads of food. Of course, they were probably metabolically primed. They're probably in a really good place. They could have been walking 20,000 steps of work every day. So you need to take that into context. And sometimes it's use for people to not do the work. So, oh, my, my coach had me on like no food and loads of cardio. And I go, were you losing weight? No. Then that's what you need to do. Yeah. It's not always your coach's fault that your metabolism is in a poor place. But my advice is if you, if you are in that place right now and you do really need to go low on food and you do need to do a, an incredible cardio, suck it up, get on with it, push through as far as you possibly can, and reverse diet out of it. Because if you can diet out of that, next time you cut, it gets easier. Every time you do that circle, it gets easier. So for those of you out there who, you know, you're just starting off in the gym, or you're an average gym goer, and you're looking at someone, you know, like myself or Ben, or, you know, other professional fitness models, we do this every year every time we cut down it gets easier every time we grow it gets easier you have to remember that we've probably done cycles of cardio you know regimes and cycles of training protocols and we've probably done this a huge amount of time so that our bodies are primed to this now when you're starting off and you're doing it for the first time it is tough suck it up 
get on with it, get as far as you possibly can, and don't make the people do, and you binge off the back end, because what you're doing then, making it worse every time you do it. Unfortunately, I see that a lot with female um, bikini athletes. They cut down, it's really difficult, they don't get as, then they they don't even reverse, they binge, and then every time they cut down, it gets increasingly more difficult. Mm. Do it the smart way. If you're going to sign up for a coach for a cut, the first thing you should ask is, will you help me with my reverse diet afterwards? And that, to me, is more valuable. When I cut for a photo shoot, I can have chocolate. Like, I do enough steps that I can do. Cho- I can have chocolate, I can have burgers, I can have all of these things when I cut. When I'm the most particular with food is when I'm reverse dieting. Yeah. Because that reverse diet will dictate the following year's cut. The reason I'm able to eat chocolate on my cut now, or, or burgers if I like, is because reverse dieting is so good. So I would urge anyone listening to this is to realize that we've been doing this a long time. Obviously, we're educated. We know our bodies. Our bodies used to what we're doing. But realize that it's, it's not a trick of the trade. Or you know, people will say, oh, such and such is on steroids, um, which is a completely different topic. But... The fact of the matter is, if you're reverse dieting, everything it gets easier and easier and easier. Um, and you know, if you're going to do a cut and you binge off the back end, oh man, yeah. you're you're in, you're in for a tough time. And this is why it's really important to have an experienced eye basically looking over things. Like I had my nutrition workshop uh, two months ago and where I really realized this is because I was sitting down, I had all the content and I was like, how the fuck am I going to teach this? And mm-hmm. uh, I was, I had all the different uh, calorie equations and things like that and we had a guest speaker who was very academical and then I, I was just more practical based. And I got up and I was like, this is what you're taught but this is what I do. <laughs> And what I do and what I'm taught are completely different. And what you need to realize is when you have someone who's done this hundreds of times, who's took someone through it, um, it's it's much more better. You're able, like, there is there is no, I can't turn, no one can turn around and tell you that you're on this actual calories, this is your maintenance. It is a, it is a process of trial and error, finding out, using data to kind of make some form of assumption and things like that and that's what you're paying for as a coach is you're paying for someone's assumption and uh yeah it's there's no there's no like set protocol um we're chasing an adaptation and that person just helps you get that adaptation and i can't i can give you experience from what i've read and then also experience from what i've done um like now i can get to the stage where i just look at someone and i look at the details and i'm saying right let's start here and then we'll adjust from there and it's kind of like a path and yeah so if you do want to get that photo shoot physique um that abs like just save yourself the hassle and like think of it as like driving instruct driving like hire a driving instructor hire a coach and you'll just get there much more safely and smoothly yeah the difference is you know if if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do you've got a levels in in northern ireland right? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so you're not gonna sit your a level exams without studying or having assistance or guidance from your teachers for years yeah i mean best of luck if you can do it best of luck but the point is you're going to need guidance and you're going to need accountability most importantly. Yeah. You know, your teachers during your academic career are there for you, are there to hold you accountable, are there to educate, teach, motivate and inspire. That's their job. You know, you wouldn't sit an exam at the end of, of your school without 
that schooling, without that education, without, you know, inspiration and motivation at times from teachers, mm. even though we sometimes give them a bit of shit growing up, yeah. um, or without the accountability. So why would you get in front of a camera without that as well, right? Yeah. You know, it's the one issue that I think people have two issues. One is spending the money and giving it to someone else. And two, I feel there's a bit of an ego involved in the sense that they don't like the fact that um, for tr some trainers, a perfect example is, no, I know everything. I don't want to ask someone else for help because, you know, I'm, I'm really good at what I do. Mm -hmm. Number one, if I was a client of a coach who said, I know everything or learning from somewhere someone else, eventually I can only learn so much from that person if they're not learning from anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first point. Second point, if you're going to charge, I don't know, whatever it is, let's just say it's £100 a month to get in amazing shape. Um, a, a perfect example of that is my first photo shoot cost me €250. Euros. So I paid €250 euros for my first ever photo shoot. I've never paid for a photo shoot ever again. Yeah, definitely. So that initial investment with a coach, with a photographer, with whatever it is, that is setting you up for success mm -hmm. um you know if you're a personal trainer out there or you're an aspiring online coach think of how much money you can make down down the line just for a small investment up front um and i think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make so you know i would urge people to just go out there and learn and be a sponge educate you know for me i think obviously it was easier for me because I've spent my whole life with my nose in the books, you know, in school, in, in my undergrad, in my master's, during my PhD, I've just been excited to learn all of the time. You know, I decided to sign up for a kinesiology um, online course recently. I'm signing up for two other online courses. I've got like almost 10 subscriptions. Yes, they're all money, money that I'm spending out, but I'm going to make 10 times that back this year. So, you know, and the reason I'm doing that is because I want to motivate, inspire and educate other people who are eventually going to buy into me. So for those of you guys out there who are worried about investing, there's nothing better to invest in than yourself. So I would urge everyone to be a little more open minded when it comes to stuff like that. The last little point that I want to kind of finish on, and I'm sure you probably agree, Chris, um, is from your academical background and things like that, is with like calories and with foods and with cardio and with like trying to get someone's output and things like that, we can't actually really turn around and say that's the amount of food that you're eating. Labels can be up to 25% off. Like it is, like I said about assumptions, and it is literally... It, it is just someone's guessing. Um, there is no real validity of someone's like actual opinion. It is a lot of guessing. And uh, like if you're going to do that starting off, you're in no man's land. But if you can do Absolutely. someone who's done that millions of times, like it's you're they're obviously going to be they're obviously going to have a much more precise eye at making those those changes and tweaks. Of course, I think. One thing is, you know, if someone comes to me and goes, how many calories should I be on? Like, so firstly, you know, I'm all up for, 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 for the science behind calorie counting. That being said, if a, if a girl is, you know, 60 kilos and she's this age and she's this height, there is no possible way. There is no possible way 
you can know or guess or 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 or, or know exactly what her metabolism is like. I'll give you an example why you can't. If that girl starts a cut and finishes a cut, she's the ex- let's just say hypothetically her weight stayed roughly the same, but she became more meta- metabolically damaged. Her weight, her height, her age, all of these things are roughly the same, but I guarantee her metabolism is in a way worse at the end of a cut. Now, if if one person's metabolism can be that dynamic, the difference between one person and the next is almost impossible to gauge. Now, as a scientist, I feel like, yes, this is the literature, this is you know optimal, this is what should be done. But in reality, practical is so much more important. As a scientist, you know, I'm programmed to take data, analyze it, and make an educated guess. That's all science is, is an educated guess. You take the data, you analyze, you come up with a hypothesis, and you confirm a hypothesis until it is proven or disproven. And when you give someone, and for me as a coach, you give an educated amount of food, you try and eliminate all the variables, you assess each week, and then try and make educated guesses based on progress. That to me is the only logical way of really being a good coach. Otherwise, you will say, oh, such and such, yeah, Sarah, she should be on 1,400 calories, do this for four weeks, and uh, we'll see how it goes. You need to be on top of things. I think when you give someone X amount of food, that may be okay one week, it may be wrong the next. You know, hormonally, she's going to change every two weeks. She's going to be ovulating, menstruating, ovulating, menstruating. That's going to affect her food. That's going to affect her progress. That's going to affect her metabolism. So, being on top of things, I think, is important. And like you said, all we can do is give an educated guess, but a trained eye will know all of these things. If someone turns around to you and goes, oh, this is your carbs, this is your protein, this is your fat, work away, I think that's when I would be a bit worried. Yeah, 100%. We've covered an hour, um, but I would like for the listeners to go and check out Chris's podcast. And Chris, one of Chris's first episodes, there was a fat loss episode, and it went into the science of fat loss. Today, what we've talked about is a lot of the mindset, um, a lot of the why, the motivating. And to be honest, that's the most important. That like you, Anyone can go and get a dietary method online. Anyone can listen to it. Like, anyone can do that. But when you actually um, get into someone's experience and get into someone's deep motivator, that's what gets them to do actions and things like that. Like out of the, Today's episode was massive. Um, and if you think about the psychological aspects, the rest will sort of take care of itself. Um, so that's one little thing I would say after this episode go on to Chris's and go on to the fat loss one and just educate yourself a little bit on the actual logistics of uh, fat loss and things Um, so basically I finish off every episode Chris with podcast ping pong if you're a new listener podcast ping pong is basically where we summarize the podcast giving you key take home points to think about to go in action and yeah so how we do it is i say you need to remember dot 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 chris replies dot 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 and then we try to do that for 30 seconds and get as many things in as possible so let's go i'm excited you need to remember to know your why okay you need to remember to hold yourself accountable you need to remember to think about the bigger picture, not just the 12 weeks. You need to remember that your inner circle are the most important people in your life 
and don't or try not to let people outside that inner circle affect what you're going to do. You need to remember that your biggest achievements in life might not always be your high points. Um, so don't get carried away on that too much. Uh, you need to remember that looking or seeking for guidance from someone else is educating you, inspiring you and making yourself a better person rather than showing vulnerability um, in the future. You need to remember that going to the gym is much more than physical and it'll give you much more, it'll let, not just give you a strong uh, body, but a strong person. You need to remember that <laughs> <laughs> running out of yeah. You I'll... need to remember that um... <laughs> We'll leave it there, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. Um. You you need to remember that there's a lot to do with metabolism and that it's not quite so theoretical when setting someone's calories and what you should be oh, on. You need to remember that practical is just as important as optimal. Awesome. Awesome. Right. So, Chris, where can the guys find out more about you over in your podcast and things? Cool. So, my podcast is the Shred with Science podcast. Um. Uh. You can hit me up on Instagram on email and loads of other social media sites what i would advise you to do is to hit me a dm on instagram so at spearman chris is my instagram um slide into the dms i reply to every single one unless it's inappropriate um so if you have any questions any queries hit me up um let me know what your goals are um and uh yeah that's me Awesome. Thank you for listening today, guys. And I'm really excited to get this up and going again. And as I said at the start, if there's any questions, anything you want to talk to us about, feel free just to message us. And yeah, have a good one.